We have two readings of Scripture this morning, and I invite you to open your Bible or one of the Pew Bibles for the first reading from Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 26, and then we will turn to the book of Romans chapter 1. Let us ask the Lord now to open our minds spiritually by the power of the Holy Spirit who breathed out this word so that we might receive it in true faith. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your love which speaks truth to us. And we thank you for your love which promises us abundant life in Jesus Christ. We pray now in his name that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please give your full attention to the reading of the word of God, Genesis 1, beginning at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Amen. And now, in contrast to that glorious declaration of the sanctity and the dignity of human life, let us hear the divine diagnosis of the fallen human condition. Romans 1, verse 18 and following, please give your full attention to the reading of the Word of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, 
and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And now to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, power, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Yesterday was the 49th anniversary of the Supreme Court decision in Roe versus Wade. That decision legalized abortion in all 50 states. Since then, January 1973, an estimated 62 million abortions have taken place in America. This is a difficult subject, especially in the presence of tender little ears and tender little hearts. And I intend to be as discreet as possible. And so it, you will have to fill in the blanks certain points along the way. This sermon has four parts, not points, four parts. The first part is the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every Sunday from this pulpit, you hear the gospel of salvation full and free proclaimed by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And the same is true today, and that's where we will begin. Part two will be a survey of Bible passages revealing the sanctity of human life and affirming the sanctity of human life in the womb. Part three will be our wake-up call about contemporary America and about the spiritual forces of evil, Ephesians chapter 6 the spiritual forces of evil at work in America such that abortion is propagated as a good thing in our morally insane culture. And part four will provide some practical applications and a word of gospel encouragement as we seek to live as Jesus' disciples in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Philippians chapter 2. Part one the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. Therefore, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Every single one of us, including myself, needs to hear and believe those gospel promises every day. But those promises are not mere abstractions 
Think about what those promises actually looked like in Jesus' life. You know, Jesus had a bad reputation as the friend of tax collectors and sinners. Moral rejects whose lives were in the ditch, like the woman at the well of Samaria or the scoundrel Judas. In the presence of an upstanding Pharisee, Jesus let a woman who was known around town as a sinner anoint his body with perfumed ointment. One of Jesus' most popular parables that we love, the prodigal son, is about a young man who had made a total train wreck of his life, squandering his inheritance on prostitutes. It was for those kind of people that Jesus offered up his life for the forgiveness of all their sins. Jesus showed us in his life and by his death that God, the Holy One, is more willing to forgive us our sins than we are willing to confess them. In his life and by his death, Jesus showed us that God's forgiveness is not begrudgingly offered. It is lovingly offered. God doesn't have to be badgered into forgiving you. He's the one who took the initiative to forgive you at the cost of the precious blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. The full punishment which your sin and mine deserves has been suffered by Jesus on the cross. And if you will accept his payment on your behalf, then you have nothing left to pay. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had made a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So as we address the issue of abortion this morning, the first thing to say is that we believe in the forgiveness of sins received through faith in Jesus Christ. That's important because any time an abortion takes place, there is plenty of guilt to go around. It involves not only the woman who chooses to get an abortion. There is always a man involved, correct? And there is a doctor and a staff of assistants involved. And sometimes there are parents involved who want a quick and quiet solution to the problem for their daughter. And sometimes 
Sometimes there's a husband. A husband coercing his wife. And then, of course, there are those who are promoting abortion rights, political activists calling it a good thing and something to celebrate. You see, in, in the case of the sin of abortion, and it is an egregious sin, an abomination, the blood guilt falls not only on the woman with an unwanted child, but also on all those involved. But the blood of Jesus Christ is more than sufficient to cover it all. If you've been involved in any way with an abortion, there is forgiveness full and free offered to you. If you will humble yourself before the Lord, confess that sin specifically without excuse and without explanation, receive his mercy as a helpless beggar and praise him for his grace. He will forgive you and accept you and enfold you in his love and he will remember your sin no more. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. Part two, a survey of Bible passages revealing the sanctity of human life and affirming the sanctity of human life in the womb. Genesis 1, 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is the bedrock verse for the doctrine of the sanctity of human life. Even in our fallen state, every human being bears the image and likeness of God. This is the basis for the command to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's the only sure foundation for human rights and human ethics in a just society. And it tells us that we are not the result of a random and purposeless process which produces a meaningless existence that ends in nothingness but rather that our individual lives were ordained and brought forth by an infinite and eternal creator who at the heart of his holy being is a God of personal and relational love. And we have been made by him to know him, to love him, to glorify and to enjoy him forever. And thus, our lives have dignity. But this glorious truth is rejected in numerous ways in our culture. On February 23, 2021, the New York Times ran an opinion piece entitled, Humans Are Animals. Let's get over it. And the little tagline read, It's astonishing how relentlessly Western philosophy has strained to prove that we are not squirrels. 
The author asserts that the distinction between human and animals and the superiority of humans is probably the worst thought in the philosophy of Western civilization. That's a perfect illustration of the Apostle Paul's divine diagnosis. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. The author is a professor of philosophy. His essay was published in the New York Times. And let me remind you, ideas have consequences. This is the reason that it is so important for us and our children to know the Word of God and apply it to every area of life. The Bible reveals that we are far more than mere animals and that human life is precious to God. Exodus 20, 13, the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Multiple verses throughout the Bible reiterate that commandment on the basis that humans are created in the image of God. Proverbs 6, 17, among the things listed that are an abomination to the Lord are, quote, hands that shed innocent blood. And the sanctity of human life extends to life in the womb, Jeremiah 1.5, which the Lord spoke to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, Psalm 139.13, you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Galatians 1.15, in which the Apostle Paul says about himself that God, quote, set me apart before I was born and called me by His grace. And in Luke chapter 1, when Mary, pregnant with Jesus, went to visit her relative Elizabeth and greeted her, Elizabeth's unborn baby, John the Baptist, leaped in Elizabeth's womb, joyfully acknowledging that he, an unborn child, was in the presence of the unborn Savior. The Bible is clear. Human life, including human life in the womb, is precious to God, and the command to love our neighbor as ourselves extends to both the woman with an unwanted unborn baby and to that unborn baby, girl, or boy. This has always been the Christian position from the first century onward. Early Christian writings in the late first century and early second century forbid and condemn abortion. The Christians in the early church rescued the abandoned infants which were left on the trash dumps by the pagans of the Roman Empire. In the 16th century, John Calvin commented on Exodus 21-22, writing, The fetus though enclosed in the womb of its mother, is already a human being, and it is almost a monstrous crime to rob it 
of the life which it has not yet begun to enjoy. Abortion and infanticide have been issues since antiquity and throughout history, and the Christian church has always been pro-life, except and until mainline Protestant denominations in the last half of the 20th century rejected the authority of Scripture and adopted unchristian ideologies and became institutions supporting so-called abortion rights. That gets us to part three, the wake-up call for Christians in America today. First of all, there is no real debate, no longer any real debate about when life begins. That's an old smokescreen. Life begins when the egg is fertilized. That's how and when your life began. And the abortion rights advocates know that. An abortionist knows exactly what he or she is doing. They know that they are You fill in the blanks. They know that they are not removing an appendix. As one writer, sympathetic to abortion rights, put it, the argument for abortion, if made honestly, requires many words. The argument against it doesn't take even a single word. The argument against it is a picture. She was referring to 3D ultrasound images. So now, after 49 years, the abortion rights advocates have become brazen in their approach. Right now, before the United States Supreme Court, right now, Attorneys for the abortion lobby are arguing that abortion is a better option than adoption because, they say, adoption is more traumatizing for the mother than an abortion. Think about that. Think about the mind set of that. They now use the word, uh, not fetus, they use the word B-A-B-Y out loud and in bold print without hesitation or apology in order to desensitize us to the horrific reality and to normalize this barbaric practice. And the current presidential administration intends to make you pay for it with your tax dollars. 
Now, where does this passion in favor of abortion rights come from? It's like a matter of religious fervor and commitment, and I want you to think about that very, very carefully. The argument is that legal abortion is necessary for women to be equal with men economically and in terms of individual freedom and personal success to be able to live the lives that they want to live, that legal abortion is necessary necessary for the general well-being of women and for their personal fulfillment in life, their psychological health, which means literally soul health, their personal pursuit of happiness and their personal autonomy, their existential identity as independent persons with the right to determine their own meaning and purpose in life. That word autonomy literally means self-law, meaning that I am my own lawgiver and that I am morally accountable only to myself and completely self-governing with regard to the affairs of my life. Autonomy means that I am sovereign over my life. And this word autonomy is an important word, a very important word, in the abortion rights arguments, indeed in the Supreme Court rulings, in the writings of the justices who have supported abortion rights. And in the abortion rights worldview, abortion is essential to that autonomy. Perhaps you've seen those signs. Abortion is essential. You put all this together, the abortion rights platform sounds very much like a religious creed. And we know that sex and all things sexual are idols of our day, correct? Our culture worships sex and looks to sexuality for personal identity, personal expression, personal fulfillment, personal meaning in life, right? And along with this goes the worship of the creation rather than the creator. We are living Romans 1 in America 2022. It is a religion. And it is a very old religion. We read about it in the Old Testament. The Canaanite demonic gods, the nature gods, the fertility gods, Baal and Molech. Uh, supposedly blessed their worshipers with prosperity and security. The liturgies of this pagan worship of these demon gods involved sexual acts with their pagan priests and priestesses. And the sacrifices offered to them were... You fill in the blank. Leviticus 18.21 says, You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And there are various other verses throughout the Old Testament which condemn the offering. to Molech. Child sacrifice was practiced not only by the ancient Canaanites, 
but also by the Aztecs and the Incas, as we know, and other cultures around the world. And now, in America, 2022, in our own way. In our culture, it is the work of the same unholy spirit of the demonic gods, which darkens the human heart and creates a chaos of moral insanity in the human mind. I am not referring to specific individuals. I am not referring to specific people. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6.10. But rather, I'm referring to the evil spiritual forces in the invisible realm, and they are real. The spiritual minions of Satan, whose business it is to steal, kill, and destroy. These malevolent, malignant, cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, the invisible realm, this comes from Ephesians chapter 6, they are behind and are orchestrating and empowering the pro-abortion ideology with religious fervor and evil spiritual energy, attempting to take over and control the collective mind of American culture. And it's all part of a bigger picture. I want you to see it's all part of a bigger picture just as it was for the ancient Canaanites and Ammonites and the first century pagans in Rome. The celebration of sexual promiscuity and immorality, homosexual and transsexual normativity, the idolatrous worship of the creation rather than the creator, and the essential practice of offered to Molech. That's the wake-up call. This is not merely a political issue, though it is an important political issue. Even more so, it is a deeply spiritual issue, a matter of spiritual warfare which requires us all to put on the full armor of God and live as witnesses of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, representing the God of life on the earth, shining His lights, in the midst of darkness. So now, part four, applications and encouragement. Even after part three, I'm still going to say it. Brothers and sisters, be cheerful, not fearful. Jesus Christ has crushed the head of the serpent. He is risen from the dead, and he will never die again. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. He is building his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He is seated at the Father's right hand far above all rule and power and dominion, far above all rule, power and dominion of the devil and his minions. 1 John 4, 4 says to us, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is He, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, believer, than He, the Spirit of Antichrist, that is in the world. 
So be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be people, Jesus' people. Faith, hope, and love, mercy, and kindness, and courage. Speak the truth without fear. Overcome evil with good. Be pro-life people, really. Love the children of this congregation. Thank God for them. Even when they cry during the sermon. Love their parents. Help them and encourage them, support and celebrate foster parents and adoptive parents. Go march in the pro-life Parade this afternoon if you can. Let people know what you believe. Volunteer or financially support Life Choices Pregnancy Center. Find a single mother and do what you can to befriend her and love her child. And let me say this to parents raising children today. Take seriously how important how essential it is that your children have a mind, an intellect, an intellect that is shaped and filled with the knowledge of God's revealed truth in Scripture as it applies to everything in their lives and everything in this world. Take seriously how important it is for us in Covenant Presbyterian Church right now among the young families to build a community of common convictions, supporting one another, encouraging one another, holding one another accountable, growing in the grace and the love of our Lord Jesus Christ as He shepherds us, you and your children. That's the reason that we've called Scott Cheatwood to come here as our new associate pastor. Be committed to that. Parents, especially fathers, God has commanded you to bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord so that they will know and love and serve the true and living God of life through faith in Jesus Christ so that they will live for His glory Counterculturally, in the midst of an ungodly and perverse society. Are you committed to that calling? Seriously, intentionally, and completely. Because I can guarantee you this. The powers behind this perverse culture are absolutely committed to possessing the minds and hearts of your children. Finally, we end where we began, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are forgiven people, set free by the blood of Christ. So go and tell somebody Go and tell somebody about the forgiveness of sins and newness of life 
and love everlasting and assurance of salvation and hope of glory that you have experienced through knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And be cheerful, not fearful. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the victory we have in Jesus. And in his name, we ask you to fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit and the joy of salvation so that we might live as lights shining in a dark world and bear witness to you, the God of everlasting life and everlasting love through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In response to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith as we say together the Heidelberg Catechism. Christian believer, what is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort is that I belong body and soul in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. At the cost of his own precious blood, he has fully paid for all my sins and has set me free from the dominion of the devil. He also watches over me so well that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. Indeed, all things must work together to fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly ready and willing from now on to live for him.